We are in the middle of a series called Church Different. And the whole idea of this is to really delve into the mission of Shorewood Church of God. And we're not, uh, we want to, by the meaning of church different is really, we want to surpass and change the expectations of what church can be and should be and is in our community. Um, Not an elitist idea or anything like that, just we want to be different and speaking to people's lives differently and actually have an impact in the way in which Shorewood, Plainfield, Joliet area is. That at the end of the day, if Shorewood Church of God stopped existing here, that the community would feel its loss intimately and effectively. Um, I don't know if that can be said of all of our churches. I don't know if that could be said of our church. And as I look through the past of how God is using churches uh, the ones that Paul, we've been examining different churches that Paul plants, that these communities are changed, these communities are, are different because of the, the movement of the people of God in those communities. And that's what I think God is calling all of our churches to be like, specifically calling our church to be like in this time, in this place. We have an amazing, awesome responsibility to be the hands and feet of Christ here in Shorewood. Today, last week we talked all about how we're going to reach our community for Christ. And this week it's about grow. Uh, Our mission statement is to reach and grow and serve. And so I bet you can't guess what next week's message is going to be on, right? Uh, So this week is all about grow. And we have, uh, this is a very personal idea, but it has ramifications in both of the other areas. Growing is a very personal ideal, except we do it corporately. Uh, and what I mean by that is it can be kind of summarized in this sentence. Short Church of God must get bigger and get smaller at the same time. We must get bigger, larger, and smaller at the same time. Why? Getting larger, we need to be introducing Christ to more people. That is a mandate from, from God. But we also must grow smaller, which is how the New Testament church grew disciples. So you have this kind of give and take, push and pull thing going on at the same time. You have this explosion of growth, but people gathering together in homes, gathering together in their small groups at work or whatnot in the New Testament and discussing Christ. So it's growing larger and smaller at the same time. Does this make sense? And that's how we need to do that as well. We do that primarily in two different ways. We have a Program a ministry called Grow. It meets every Wednesday night, the first, second, third, and fourth Wednesday of the month. This week is the fifth Wednesday of the month, so we're not meeting. Um, so there you go. If you show up, I will not be here this Wednesday night. I'm sorry, uh, but but August, the first week of August, I will be, or October, August, I'll be here too. But uh, first week of October, we'll start all over again, and it's the same thing every time. The 101 is the same. The first week of every month, the se- 202 is the same. The second week of the- every month, 301 is the same. The third week of the month and 401, it's the same every fourth week of the month. And that's just what we keep on going through that because we want everyone in our church body to go through this. Whether you've been here for 40 years, if you laid the cornerstone of the church, you need to go to grow. And if you just walked in the door yesterday, you need to go to grow. It is Part is a cornerstone of who we are, of how we're developing as people of God, and how are you uniquely crafted 
That God is, can reclaim your past and set you on a new purpose. That's what grow is all about. How are you going to take where you're at and go from here? And the second way in which we do grow is life groups. Life groups just kicked off last week, and it's not too late to join. It's not too late. Um, the first week is, is usually the high. My name is a week anyway, so you're, you're not missing a lot. You can, you can jump right in. It's okay. They'll be going uh, through up until November, so make every effort to get into that. We have life groups still. The sign-ups are underneath the TV in the lobby. Uh, we'll be talking about more about that as the... The message progresses, but life groups is a way in which to do life. That's why they're called life groups with a certain p- group of people in our lives. Uh, my group is a Monday night men's group. And we, the first couple times that we ever did prayer requests, it was like, well, I don't have any prayer requests. Right. And then we have Perry crying because Perry cries. And that's, that's all, that's all the, all the prayer request time was. He wouldn't even actually say a prayer request. He just had a tear. And that's just what happened. I pick on him. He's not even here this morning. I'm sorry, Perry. Uh, I love him to death. Uh, he will listen to this in his car and be yelling at me. Uh, so. But now, last week, we, I, I, I budget my time in the, in the small group based on how much information I'm going to be teaching. And we doubled our time because prayer request time took so long. And that's in a two-year period. Guys sharing their hearts and, and people who've never actually even shared prayer requests before opening their lives because they want... Uh, other men to come in their lives and speak life into them, but also they need help to do life with and bringing that towards God and all that. And it's a beautiful metamorphosis. It's a beautiful change. We don't get all sappy. Perry's the only one that cries, uh, and that's just him. Uh, so if, <laughs> I'm really sad he's not here right now. Um, but but that, that's just what we do. We, uh, we, we just share life together. And I know the, the women's groups uh, do other things like that um, as well throughout the week. And there's also mixed groups as well. Please take every advantage of that as uh, you can. <clears throat> Today we're talking about this idea of discipleship. And discipleship really means to become more like so we've talked uh, in passing sometimes about discipleship. Discipleship is um, this whole idea, this rabbinical idea of being a disciple is you have this teacher and he has passed all these tests and gone through a discipleship program himself and, and time period with a rabbi. And now when he comes of age, he can become his own rabbi. And what he does is start collecting disciples. And these disciples are trying to be like rabbi, whatever his name is. And so when we think of Peter and James and John and Andrew, they are leaving their livelihoods to go be like Jesus. This is a huge endeavor. They're really old to be doing this. Usually it's, it's junior high boys um, and younger that are going to do this, not upper teenagers in their 20s like Peter and, 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 and James and Andrew were. John's probably about well, the only one that's really the appropriate age in, in his mid-teens. But the whole idea was we're going to watch this man do life. How he conducts himself in the marketplace, how he's going to live, how he's going to teach, how he's going to react to criticism, how he's going to interpret the scriptures, how he's going to do all these things, and we're going to become more like him. So then, therefore, we can go, when we graduate, go and teach the same stuff. Does this make sense? This is what a disciple, a rabbi disciple is. And this is the language in which Jesus and the apostles use when they're talking about what Christians are supposed to do. Christ's mandate for us is to go and make disciples. Go and do this. He's basically gifting us through the power of the Holy Spirit, saying you're supposed to go and be the rabbis to teach this way. 
you are supposed to go and teach this. This is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be the example, to set the example up that people will follow and start to change their lives in this way and follow these examples. This is the, the root of what discipleship is. And another way of looking at it is it's to imitate. It's to imitate everything about imitation. And Paul recognizes this, and he writes it in this wonderful letter to the church of Thessalonians, um, or the church of Thessalonica, which means Thessalonians when uh, he writes it in 1 Thessalonians. He writes two letters to Thessalonia, or Thessalonica, sorry, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. These are probably the earliest books penned in the New Testament. Um, Paul writes with great um, interest these these books. It's a very interesting story behind the letters of uh, Thessalonians. What happens in Acts chapter 17 is Paul shows up in Thessalonica. He shows up there. And he starts teaching like he always does. He walks into there. He finds a Jewish synagogue. He walks into the Jewish synagogue, says, I'm a rabbi. I can teach. They're like, okay. And he starts teaching about Jesus. And either the Jewish synagogue says, whoa, this is awesome. Or they say, stone him. This is what's <laughs> Thessalonica was quickly a stone him type place. He gets three weeks in Thessalonica and they run him out of town. Three weeks. That's all he gets. Thessalonica is one of the most important cities in the world at this time. I've said that every single week when we've talked about a place uh, in which Paul is planning a church. You're getting a theme. There are all these mega centers of trade. Paul is extremely strategic in where he's planting these churches at. So he's gone to Colossae. He's gone to uh, Ephesus. He's gone to Thessalonica. He's gone to uh, Philippi. These huge epicenters. Thessalonica is so important that when Constantine is picking a capital... Between the city that's around um, where Constantinople or um, would be, I can't even think of the what it's called now. But where Constantinople is going to be, um, he's choosing between Thessalonica and Constantinople. So we could have a different city there. It's that important. It's this huge harbor that does all this business, and he knows it's so strategic to the spread of the gospel. And he is heartbroken that he's run out of that place in three weeks. He's so got so much angst in this. About six months later, he writes this letter. But before that, he sent his boy, Timothy, back there. Now, Timothy must have thought he was being like Jason Bourne or James Bond. right? He's probably a 16, 17-year-old kid, and he's got this mission to sneak back in the city, evade all the Jews, and start teaching about Jesus. That's what, that's what his job was. Can you imagine having a 16, 17-year-old boy like, all right, your job is to disciple this huge city of 200,000 people. Go get them. Right? That's, that's a lot of faith into a, into a kid. Um, and he's like, uh, uh, squirrel. Uh, so <laughs> that's... Anyway, that's my experience with 17-year-old boys, but for uh, <clears throat> 30-year-old boys too, but that's okay. So what he writes to them, but Timothy gives him all this good news, and he's very excited about the progression of it. And so listen to this. He's got three weeks he got to impart wisdom, three weeks to share about Jesus, three weeks to download all the information that he can into these people, and then he is run out of town. A mob appears and tries to arrest him and kill him. Okay, that's, and he, him and uh, Silas are booking it. That's, that's what happens. It gets about five sentences in Acts. How many amazing things are going on in a book? If you can, this, this uh, you know, we could make a whole movie script out of these five verses. And how many amazing things are going on in Acts if that only gets five verses in Acts? But anyway, 
Sorry. 1 Thessalonians 4 through 7. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Now, Macedonia and Achaia, Greece is cut into two different Roman provinces. Macedonia is the north part, Achaia, um, with like Sparta and Athens and Corinth. Uh, Some cities you might uh, remember from history class are in the south part. That's the Achaia province. Um, So this city... These believers that get three weeks with the rabbi, three weeks with Paul, have become, they've imitated him so well, they become the example to this whole area. So Paul's kind of excited about them. And this idea of imitation, this idea of being an imitator really resonated with me as I, as I studied the scripture this week. Because this is the, the crux of what being a disciple is, that we imitate Christ. Now, I've done a, a lot of uh, imitation in my day. I've spent a lot of time in sixth and seventh grade trying to get my Forrest Gump to be perfect. All right? I, I'm really glad YouTube did not exist when I was a sixth grader. <clears throat> I would never get hired to be a pastor anywhere, uh, and I don't know what I would do. But the, if you can imagine me uh, as a sixth or seventh grader, you understand exactly. You're all like, oh, bless Tina Hauser. Um, but Forrest Gump was all the rage and I had to learn that perfectly and I got it down well and I would practice and I would practice and I was practice and there was another character happened uh, when I was in high school a man by the name of Chris Farley I got that down could do the whole thing I even, even think I broke a coffee table or two Trying to get it down. I actually, my mentor, I introduced myself. His son saw me, the first time he saw me, doing a Chris Farley impersonation. I had no idea this was the pastor's kid. This is a church of, you know, 1,200 people. And he grabs me and goes and introduces me to his father, this man that I revere and have all this respect for. He's like, do your impression, do your impression, do your impression. I'm like, no, 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 no. He's like, do your impression. I'm like, okay. So I introduced myself to Pastor Chuck Angel acting like Chris Farley. Dr. Charles Angel. I'm not going to do it. I'm fighting the... No, Jimmy, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I know you want me to, but I'm not going to. What is imitation? From my extensive research into imitation, just trying it. It takes a few things, and, and as we bring levity to it, it's the same principle, and then we apply to discipleship to becoming like Christ. When you are trying to imitate someone or something, you study it. You study it. You have to know it. We cannot imitate Christ if we don't study the scripture. If we don't know what he actually says. If I have never seen Tommy Boy, if I have never watched an SNL skit, I can't do Chris Farley. You can't. You can read the words, you can read the script and be like, oh, okay. But if I've never experienced before, I can't imitate it. And for some of us, we're saying we're Christians and we're trying to to imitate Christ, but we're not getting into the word and we're not experiencing who Jesus is. Second thing we have to do, we have to practice it. 
We have to practice it. And we have to continue to practice it. I used to do a really good Sean Connery. That is not true. I used to do a really good SNL skit Celebrity Jeopardy Sean Connery. I had that one down, not the real man. I used to do it all the time. In college, we do the skit all the time. Me and my roommate said goodnight to each other. He was Alex Trebek, and I was Sean Connery. That is, in our dorm room, that is how we said goodnight to each other. We had a very weird relationship. Um, we, we, that's what we did over and over and over again. I haven't done that skit in 10 years. I tried to do my Sean Connery the other day. Worse than normal. It was terrible. I couldn't get it right because I was out of practice. Some of us... This is not just a one-time thing that we imitate Christ. Oh, I got it. Okay, we're good. Next thing on my list. And for so often in our Christian walk, as we grow as disciples, we're like, oh, I'll read the Bible once. Got it. Boom. Done. And then we wonder why we're, we're failing at our walk. We wonder why Christ feels so far away. We're wondering why we can't, we're not doing uh, our relationships or places that we, we don't know why they're there because we're not putting it into practice. Third thing is we have to fully commit. I have a rule uh, with my kids being a swimmer is that ladders are used for exiting a pool, not for entering a pool. That is a rule in our, on our house. Kendall fully abides, fully commits to this rule. Bowen, on the other hand, has scars and scrapes because he will not do it. When you, when, you, when you are dipping your toe into the water, there's something weird that happens with the water temperature and the air temperature. It feels way colder than it actually is. You might have experienced this. If you just full on, whoa, cannonball, you get the pleasure of splashing everyone around you, and you do not have this weird air temperature, water temperature thing, and it's a lot more comfortable. Try it. Some of you who are toe tippers do not believe me. Like, no, Jared, you are wrong. You are wrong. You are wrong. You are wrong. Fully committing. Bowen, when he doesn't fully commit to this, it it happens where he's got the whole full coming in and... And then he gets the scrape and the concrete on the side of the pool. You know what I'm talking about? You've all had kids do this. And then they're mad and they don't get in the pool at all. And they get out and you're like, if you would have just jumped in. So we go through a season where Bowen goes arced into because he's projectile from daddy's hand. Until we have figured out that the water's not going to hurt him. Judge my parenting skills later. It's okay. I want my kids to fully commit to it. And it's the same thing with discipleship is we fully commit to it. We don't just kind of dabble into it. We can't dabble into a life with Christ. We have to fully commit to this life of Christ. Fully commit to this imitation. Another thing happened at Second City here in uh, Chicago. I don't know if actually this happened in the Canadian uh, Second City or here in Chicago. uh, But I know it happened at Second City. Two men you might know who they are, Steve Carell and Stephen Colbert. They're mildly famous, uh, mildly funny guys. But did you know that Stephen Colbert was Stephen Carell's understudy at Second City? That's pretty cool, huh? Well, Stephen Carell plays like the French horn. And in one of his skits for Second City, he played the French horn. I don't know if that's a French horn, but that's what he would just play, play, play. For comedic value, he would play and play and play. And so Steve Carell, or sorry, Stephen Colbert was his understudy. And so he needed to get into this role at a drop of a hat that he learned to play the French horn in like six days. He's like, this is my job. Well, as you know, the flu happened 
Colbert goes on stage and no one misses a beat. No one's like, oh, we can't do that. He's like, no, no, I got this. Because he's got the imitation of it down. He's fully committed. No one really expected him to learn an instrument for an understudy position, right? Colbert can hold his own in comedic realm. You know, oh, I got to learn a French horn and master it in six days. That's how we are, as need to be as imitators of Christ. We fully commit to this. Even more than what people are expecting of us, we fully commit. Well, the final thing on imitation is we get feedback. Get feedback. And this is where life groups come really, really in handy. I'm not talking about getting feedback from people that are always negative in your life, but people who are on this journey for discipleship that they, they have fully committed, that they're studying and practicing, trying to become a disciple of Christ. If we get feedback from them, where can I get sharper? Where can I get better? Where can I step into this Christ life even more? We get positive and good feedback. Just like if I'm doing an imitation and it's terrible, but I think I'm great. Someone needs to tell me that you're terrible at that because bad things happen, right? You go on stage, you try to do something, you try to impress a girl, which was probably what I was doing it all for. And bad things happen. We need to get feedback from people that we trust. And the same thing is with our Christian life as well. Because we can get down tangents. Remember, Christianity is always supposed to be done in community, not in an isolated silo. Always done in community. Get feedback. These are, <clears throat> when I work at imitating something, it gets sticky. It sticks to me. I start doing the impression in probably inappropriate places. I know that was the case with Forrest Gump. I had a couple of detentions because of that. But it gets sticky. It's, it, it, it becomes part of who you are. It adheres itself to you. You start to change. You're formed by it. And the thought started to come to me and started to resonate with me is who we are becoming is founded in what sticks to us. Now, this has a positive and a negative connotation to it. We pick things up all the time. And too often, what, what we are stuck to is the wrong things. We stick to people who hurt us. We stick to ideas that hold us back. We stick to pasts that haunt us. And what they really start to become is like concrete shoes. If you've ever poured concrete and had to walk in it to do anything, you know you've got to get that off quickly or all of a sudden you've got 15-pound stone-toed, stone-toed, well, they're stone-toed because there's concrete on them. That works. Uh, boots. And they're heavy. And they're terrible. And you've ruined some jeans and all this stuff. And they just, they set up and they're so heavy. They're even ridiculous to walk in when they're just wet. But when they become dry, they are useless. And for so much of us, we're caught up in this stickiness of negativity that we just can't move. We can't operate. We can't do what God is telling us to do. We're not living the life that God has called us to do. If you feel stuck in life, if that defines you, if you think about where you're at and who you are, is stuck the word that you might use? 
What are you stuck to? And you might be thinking, Jared, you don't understand. I can't get rid of that. That can't, that can't get broken off. That can't. It is super glued on. I had an accident one time with super glue. I thought we were going to have an issue. And then I, I quickly <clears throat> Googled with my other hand <laughs> um, that rubbing alcohol would, take, it would dissolve it. And so I started pouring rubbing alcohol, pouring rubbing alcohol. I, I had super glued my hand to my glasses is what had happened, Bree. I know you wanted to know, and it was bad. And so I just kept on pouring and pouring this rubbing alcohol. And then acetone will also work the uh, uh, nail polish remover. And so you keep on there. You lose some skin, but it, it gets looser, and it starts to break free and, and, and come, come on. What are you stuck to? No matter how tight the bond you think it has over your life, it can be broken. Growing as a disciple of Christ is about sticking to Christ. Growing as a disciple of Christ is about sticking to Christ, about imitating him so much that you can't help to start to become like him. We either stick to healthy things or unhealthy things, but discipleship is all about determining our stickiness and how we affect the people around us. And aspects of our grow. Grow defines where you are sticky and developing your stickiness. And life groups help you stick to the right things. So what are you stuck to? I want to think about this concrete metaphor if you ever had the privilege of going to Florence, you get to, if you go to the right place, you get to, you get to experience the David, which is Michelangelo's greatest, that or the Sistine Chapel. I can't, I can't judge either one. They're so totally different. But his greatest sculpture, the David, it is this monumental statue. It would be about as high as these speakers from here. And it's David holding a sling. And it's just in the, the, the muscles and the eyes and the curls on the hair and the back muscles. And it just it is absolutely amazing the detail that it goes on. And what sculpture is all about is breaking away the stuff that does not belong. That huge piece of marble always had the David in it. Right? Michelangelo just saw it in there. And he was given the task of starting to break away the junk, the stuff that didn't belong. If you go there to this museum, it's not very big. It's probably as big as our church. And as you walk in the front doors, the David is standing there in all of his glory, and you get mesmerized by it that you miss what you're walking past. On each side of you are these columns, basically these practice runs where Michelangelo just said, you know what, I'm going to work on a shoulder today. And there's this ton of marble sitting there, and he's chipped away, and he's chipped away, and he's chipped away, and revealed his shoulder. And he's like, okay, next one. And he does a stomach, and then he does a leg, and then he does a... And it's all these amazing, as you start to see, but it has the raw stone around it, and you see the process. And this was such a, a profound experience for me, because I, could st- I was thinking, this is what, what Jesus must see in us. As he starts to chip away and break free all the junk that we're stuck to. 
as, as all the concrete and the, the mess and the sin and the, and the horrible attitudes and the, and the addictions that we have in our life, he says, you know, just give me that chisel and I'll show you the beauty that's inside. And this, this, this is captured for me. There's a couple of things we have to do when we give Jesus the right to carve away. I uh, grew up with Little House in the Prairie. Some of you may have seen some episodes, one or two. It was a little show back in, in the day. I wanted to get the, uh, the episode, but I could not actually get it legally <clears throat> online, so I, I decided to obey the law instead of steal. <clears throat> but uh, in an in a episode called... Um, Say no to fear, part one and two. You might remember it. Mary gets kicked by a mule. Do you remember this episode? This, I think that's where she goes blind. And she gets kicked by a mule, and she's in the hospital. Her, her condition worsens, and Michael and Mr. Edwards have to go raise money to pay for the surgery. Do you guys remember this? Yes? No? Maybe so? Okay. Um, some of you are like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm starting to cry right now. Um, so, so what happens is they go to the, this railroad uh, yard and they have to start um, digging uh, out of this hard rock. And Michael grabs the chisel. And Mr. Edwards, being the big burly man, grabs a sledgehammer. And I, the first, I always remember this because it was an episode of trust. Can you imagine? You grab this chisel. And this huge man is swinging a 10, 15-pound sledgehammer as hard as he can at you. I can't hit a nail with a hammer six inches from me without making something bleed. And this guy is... Boom! Exactly. And he trusts him. Do you remember this in the race? Bang, bang, bang. Bang, switch, and they switch in the boom. I mean, I was eight years old. I remember this. It's like in there. Cling, 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 cling. Discipleship's a lot like this. Jesus provides all the power. He provides all the engine behind it. He gives us the opportunity to hold the chisel. We're not doing anything. We're just trusting him. We're just trusting as you carve away this stuff, as you get rid of my past, as you get rid of my negative thoughts, as you get rid of all the addictions in my life, God, I'm just going to hold this chisel. And he's swinging away. What he's doing is he lets us be a part of making us a beautiful, beautiful masterpiece. Does this make sense? Are you following me on this? This is what he is. He just lets us be a part of it. We're not earning it. We're not doing it. We're not, we're not providing the power. He does all that. Jesus does all that stuff. But he invites us as a disciple to hold the chisel. And that sometimes we're like, nope, nope, nope. You might get my hand. I'm the God of the universe. My aim's pretty good. Nope, 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 nope. I'm not holding that chisel. I don't mean if I was Michael Landon. Oh, no. I'll figure a different way to make some money for my daughter. I am not holding that thing. And the, the doubts creep in, right? I don't want to give control of my life, Jared. You don't understand. I, I can't get rid of that thing. I can't do this. I can't, I can't get rid of that, that addiction. You don't know how part of that it is in me. It might hurt if I start chiseling that away. That's exactly what God's trying to get rid of in your life. So you can be the creation 
he's called you to be. Second thing that, uh, well, the first thing that chiseling works is it, it requires trust. And the second thing is it removes stuff. And in the way of, of the David, I just think about it. <clears throat> I, I wonder when he knew it was enough. Like you have this huge, I wonder if Michelangelo could see the David today and go, oh, I just really want to hit that with the little, I can make it better. It's the most beautiful thing ever crafted out of stone. I just, one more little, I, Jared would go, ding, and the whole thing would come, come crumbling down. But God says, okay, here's this masterpiece. I'm going to continue to work and I'm going to continue to buff and I'm going to continue to, to work on that. I don't know where you're at on that discipleship train. If we are just starting the first hits on breaking through the junk or if we're buffing and polishing this beautiful masterpiece. I don't know where you're at on that. But it always requires trust of the master for him to remove the right things. Today, as we think about growing in Christ, about stepping into this life fully, that we study the word of God, that we practice it, that we fully commit to it, and we get feedback, it finds us in several different places. I think the first one is, yeah, God, I, I am stuck in concrete. I am stuck to the wrong things. I'm, I don't even know where to start. And I need you to be Lord of my life. I'm stuck in my past. I'm stuck in my sin. And I need you to start chiseling me out of this. I need the change to be broken. I need to be broken free from all of this. Maybe that is you this morning. It is, I want you to pray with me right now. If that's you right now, just pray with me. God, that you would start breaking me free. God, I trust you. I give you my life. I give you my past. I give you my future. I give you my family. I can't do this by myself anymore. I need you, Jesus. God, will you start making me into the masterpiece you see in me? In Jesus' name, amen. If that's a prayer that you pray today, maybe for the first time, I need to talk to you. I want to talk to you. I want to get to know you. Maybe you have questions about that. That is wonderful. The second place that you might find yourself is you get to this place where you start to hold the chisel and you take a couple swacks and you get scared. That's painful. That's that, that was close. You almost got my finger, Jesus. Maybe that's you today as well. And your prayer needs to be, God, let, let me trust you more. Let me trust you that you're not going to hurt me, that you have plans to prosper me and to grow me for a hope and a future, not to harm me. That's in the scripture. I'm quoting scripture. He said, I'm not going to hurt you. Put the chisel there. Maybe you find yourself, you feel comfortable with where you're at. I'm good enough. I'm good enough. You can see a statue. I'm okay. And God's like, there's more to you. Right now, you're a paint by numbers, but I can make you the Mona Lisa. You need to pray, God, I just want to trust you to remove and to shape me the way that you want me to be.
The band's going to come up and play a song that goes with our message. Break every chain. That that would be your prayer this morning, that's your heart cry this morning, that God would remove you, move, remove from you the stuff that holds you back. That in this moment, in this place, at this time, you can start to become the person that God sees you can be. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this moment. And thank you for this message. God, I ask you to grow us. I ask you to let us imitate you. Can you show us how to do that better? God, there's some of us right now in this room that are so stuck in stuff, so stuck in sin, so stuck in habits, so stuck in attitudes, so stuck in in their past. God, we need to be broken free. That you have a hope and dream for our lives that's better than we can ever imagine. God, we love you. We want to step into this life with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.